Let us pray. When we all get to heaven, indeed, what a glorious day that will be. In the meantime, we'll continue to faith rest, depend upon your promises and your grace that is always sufficient. And we commemorate that grace in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. A few announcements to make. We'd ask if people who would like to sing uh, what is going to be a new congregational hymn, or Ring the Bells, are to come up and stand by the piano after church. We'll see what we can do. We'll make a joyful noise. Also, next Sunday is going to be a night with Israel at Beth Sharon. Um, that will be, I'm not sure exactly what time, but we can all meet here together at the church and kind of, is it six? Okay, at six. So I'll tell you next Sunday when we are going to meet here at the church and then we'll go and um, support Israel. Uh-huh. Be at the church by five? Okay. It's in Houston. It's at Beth Sharon uh, uh, Synagogue. Yeah, it's off of Bissonette. Okay. I'm not sure we might uh, meet up with folks at West Houston Bible Church and all caravan together. But I'll have more information on that by next time. But you might want to keep that evening free if you would like to attend. Um, let's see. Yeah, there's no charge, by the way. Uh, you don't have to get tickets, do you? Okay. VIP. <laughs> no, no, I'm not speaking. If I was, you'd have known it earlier. <laughs> okay, uh, let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. The opportunity to name any unconfessed sins, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are our God, a God of grace and mercy, also a God of righteousness and justice. We're thankful that you have accorded us this time to express our positive volition in your word, to show that we are eager and hungry to be good and faithful servants. We realize that we cannot do this apart from knowing and applying your mighty word. So we pray that you will help us to focus. <coughs> Excuse me. Focus so that we will be able to inculcate all that is in the message today. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. For a while I've been thinking about giving you, kind of updating you with our missionaries. Pastor Naboth is in Kenya and 
he is um, very eager to go from country to country, which he does, and he gives seminars, conferences for pastors. Last one he had, he spoke to over uh, 70 pastors, and he has an uphill fight because in Africa there are so many who believe in uh, women preachers and uh, speaking in tongues and a lot of the other things that he has to address every time he has a conference. So I hope that you'll keep him in your prayers. Uh, also, I have a slideshow. George, will you turn these lights out right overhead uh, so they'll see it better? This is what he sent. <coughs> it's Namath D. I don't know what the D. Oh, I think it's Dickens. Namath Dickens Atuko is his name, and he has Grace Ministries. Uh, this is the sign he had at his last conference. And here he is. He's a, he's a big guy. You know, I think he's about 6'4". And he's uh, speaking here. These are some of the folks. Uh, you might notice that <clears throat> most of the time, all they have is a roof over their head. They don't have any walls. That means they don't have any air conditioning or anything. And then uh, this is another group. And nearly every time they use these plastic chairs. Have you all noticed that? So enjoy those nice cushy seats you're in and the air conditioning. Here he is uh, uh, teaching again. Uh, this is the computer and the projector that Country Bible Church has uh, purchased for him. And so when he goes to these conferences, he has a computer and he projects uh, images up on the screen. And that is a big plus there. Not many of them have that. So he's very thankful for that. Some of you might <coughs> recognize this. This is one, uh, he's giving us a picture of the picture of the picture that we sent him. <coughs> Our uh, overhead anyway. Here's another one. I haven't seen this one before, and I know it's pretty, pretty uh, blurry here. But look what he says up here. Faith in Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. I think he has it up here also. So he's, he's got the right message. And this is uh, it, it's, it's kind of uh, unusual for me because I made these, these uh, slides and then see him send them back to me is, uh, is pretty neat. I never, I probably would not made just stick man if I knew that it was going to be <laughs> going out on the other side of the world, but, you know, <laughs> stick men are fine. And then this is uh, what we call rebound. These are, of course, this is First John 1, 9, and then these are all, uh, not all of them, but other verses that are saying what First John 1, 9 says, only in a different way. So anyway, I thought you might be interested in seeing what's going on with Pastor Naboth. He's on the radio, and he has some of his uh, radio, uh, some of his radio programs on our website. It makes it nice for him, so when he goes to uh, Tanzania, and he's gone to Dar es Salaam, and he's gone all the way down to South Africa. He's been all over. Um, he, he can just have people. He, he gives them our website. He's on it 
And so they can listen to him on our website. Make it pretty nice. Um, you know, I know that this is a Thanksgiving weekend. And I thought about, well, I, I might give a Thanksgiving message. But then I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to Joshua. We hadn't been in Joshua, it seems like, for a while. It's been at least two or three weeks. And I'm just going to go back and review a little bit with Joshua and then just press on in Joshua because throughout the time that the Israelites crossed the Jordan River and were facing one challenge after another and after another, God was faithful. He delivered them every time except the one time when they went to Ai. And they thought they didn't need him, and so they went and... They thought, we've got this covered. Well, they, <laughs> they came back with their legs between their tails. But outside of that, um, they, they learned that little uh, attitude adjustment there. And they went on and they were just, can I say, kicking butt everywhere they went. Is that all right? Okay. Uh, that's to say it mildly. And they were thankful every time that God gave them deliverance. But... There's one point that I wanted to go back to that sets really everything up. And it sets the tone even for the Thanksgiving. Most people will remember when Joshua asked the Lord to just keep the sun up there until he was through fighting. Most people know that that is a, is a great miracle that God provided. And... You might say Joshua had some audacity to ask that, but that in itself gives us a little uh, teaching. There's nothing too big for God. If you're in His will and you ask Him for help, He certainly can deliver. But this, I want to go there. We know about the miracle, but what's behind it is what people miss so often. And there, there's something there that you have to understand if you're going to be victorious spiritually in your life. Joshua and the Israelite army had gone for about 40 miles after they had already engaged in Gibeon, a huge battle. It was victorious. Remember, they, they left... They left um, the Jordan River, and they went, they, they were at Gilgal, they, were, they left Gilgal, and they went all the way to Hebron at night over rough terrain, no, no sleep, no food. They gauged in battle, and they had the enemy on the run, and so then they went about another, what was it, 30 or 40 miles, something like that? Still no sleep, no food, and they are killing the enemy as they go, and night was catching up on them. And this is when Joshua prayed the prayer. This is what I want you to see. This is what Joshua understood. He understood that you cannot coast in this life. He knew that if he did not press on in his spiritual life and continue to depend upon the Lord and his promises, that the enemy would overtake him. Because if night would have fallen before he was able to establish a a foothold and essentially annihilate the enemy to where they were no longer a threat. If that had not happened because of God giving them more light, night would have fallen 
And the enemy would have had a time to regroup. They knew the terrain. And then Joshua would find himself in the middle of enemy territory completely surrounded. And that's what I want us to see in our own spiritual life. Have you ever been <clears throat> engaged in some sort of circumstances, circumstance that was unpleasant to you, but you had to hang in there and deal with it? Have you ever been in that, in that situation and felt you were being overwhelmed? That's about the time that you reach over and are ready to hit the panic button. Been in a situation like that? That's where Joshua was. Joshua did the right thing. It's the same thing that we need to do. And that is depend upon God, His faithfulness, His power, and go to Him and ask for help. That's what he did. So many times we think, well, we'll it'll be all right. Well, nothing is going to be all right apart from you utilizing the spiritual dynamics that God has given us as royal family of the church age. And so... This is what I, I'm more or less imploring that you do is realize the correlation between the physical things that were going on with Joshua as he took city after city and correlate to what that's going on, what's going on in your life. It's not so much physical. We don't, we don't attack spiritual, I mean, uh, satanic fortresses that are liberal fortresses However, we face satanic fortresses, human viewpoint, every single day, don't we? All you have to do is wake up. Wake up, and it's game on. And so many believers go through as if uh, they, forgot that that they forgot about the game. They forgot that there's an angelic conflict, and they are in the middle of it. So we don't wage our war with swords, spears, shields, and all this type of thing. You know where I'm going, don't you? Well, let's all go there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can look at it on the board up here. And while you're <coughs> turning there in your Bibles, I want you to think about this. You may be in a valley <coughs> right now meaning there's not a whole lot of adversity going on in your life. And sometimes we go to peaks and valleys and so forth. <coughs> but we should be having head-on collisions, head-on collisions with secular humanism every single day. You should be recognizing that. And my question to you is, if that's not happening... You know what I think the problem is? You're probably, you probably have already been captured by the enemy. You know, if you're a prisoner, you're essentially out of the battle. And we need to be engaged. 
And so you have to be ever alert. That's what the New Testament is telling us over and over and over again. Watch out. Stay alert. Your enemy, the, the Satan, is like a roaring lion, and he's, he's seeing who he can devour. Now, he's not a, you don't see a real lion, but it's just as real. The satanic forces are ever-present, and we have to do battle with them every single day. Just like Joshua, every time he, he had a victory, he had to go on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And our lives should be the same way in the spiritual realm. We have battle after battle. I dare say that most of us are going to have to face the enemy. We're going to have to draw upon our spiritual resources before this day is over. Are you up to the challenge? If you just yawn and say, well, okay, sirrah, sirrah. That's what a lot of people think. And they are imprisoned by the enemy. They're making no impact. They're not faithful servants for God. I'll say more about that in a moment. Let's get to the Scripture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, this just means we walk essentially in our human bodies. We think like humans and we walk like humans. We live like humans because we are humans, right? That's natural. No problem with that. But we do not war according to the flesh. We don't use our human devices. Remember I gave a list of the things that people use? Whatever your strength is, that is going to be your default system to handle adversity. That's where we like to go to because that's normal. That's human. That's, that's the thing to do. And if, if you're super smart, you're going to go to your intelligence. If you're super beautiful, then you're going to use your beauty. You're going to get that thing that they curl the eyelashes with, that thing they squeeze like that, and you're going to make sure they're all curled up. For you. When you leave the house, you're ready for battle. And uh, you get the point. Whatever it is, that's what you're going to If you're a big old uh, scrapping guy, you want, you want to maybe pump up before you go outside, and you're, you're ready. But that's, all those devices are absolutely useless in the conflict and the warfare that we are engaged in. And that's what it's meaning in verse 3. We do not war according to the flesh, our, our flesh, our human ability, our viewpoint. The, the, the human viewpoint is, is really let's connive. Let, let's um, step on other people's back to get to the top. Uh, don't get mad. Get even. These are all human viewpoint ideas that simply do not work in this type of war warfare. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not, in other words, what that's talking about, it's not human viewpoint. And that's what we all have. This is what we were born with. This is what we normally would use. But let me tell you something. You might know this already. If you're a Christian, and I suspect you all are, hopefully, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're learning how to think critically in a spiritual way, you're not normal. Now, I've had several people tell me I'm not normal. <laughs> Adam told, told me that before I was saved even. You know, <laughs> just not quite on the beam there. But what I'm talking about, we're not normal in that we don't think the way probably, I don't know what percentage, in the high 90 percentile of the rest of the humanity thinks. At least if we are obedient to God, if we are plugged in, 
If we know what this life is all about, then we're not normal. We don't think the way other people do. We don't talk the way other people do. And we don't act the way other people do. You know that, that, And that's a good thing. Aren't you glad that not being normal is good? I'm just deliriously happy about that. You don't have to conform. You don't have to go along with the crowd, which is the easy thing to do. So when we are going to engage in spiritual conflict, it's not the human viewpoint. It's not all the physical attributes that we may have. Here's what it is. It's knowing the Word of God and applying it. That's where it's at in the spiritual realm. And the first part of that wipes out most of believers because most believers are abysmally ignorant of God's Word. And because of that, they're neutralized. They're sitting on the bench. The game's going on. They're sitting on the bench. Uh, I, I, I... it would sound like a bragamony if I said that I never sat on the bench, but I didn't. I, I, I w- it was just I could not sit on the bench. I had to get in the game. I could see all that going on and not be a part of it. I can remember. <laughs> I remember a friend one time asked me uh, in high school. High school uh, fields are just grass and dirt, and back then when it rained, I guess it's still that way to a large degree now. The field got muddy. And we got out there, we had, our, I went to Walter High School and our colors were uh, red and gray. And we had gray pants. And when we got out there in the mud and playing, the, 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 the ones that were playing, they were engaged in the game, you could tell who they were. You couldn't even see it, the numbers on our jerseys. It was just solid mud. And this friend of mine was wondering, is it okay if I go out and waller in the mud when nobody's looking? <laughs> because when you go off the field at halftime, and you've got all these guys that have been playing, and they're just covered with mud. And then you've got a guy that's sitting on the bench. And the only place that isn't spotlessly clean is on his bottom. You kind of have an idea. Uh, he's not a player. I don't know about you, but I want to be a player in the spiritual life. But it's not only wanting to be a player in the spiritual life. It's recognizing that if you're not a player, if you don't do the things necessary in order to be in the game, then not only are you not a player, you are a loser. And not only are you a loser, you're going to be taken captive by the enemy that has no mercy. That's exactly where Joshua was. He knew that he had to press on and get that divine help in order to not only be victorious, but the other side of that coin is being annihilated, and that's what he was facing. So, again, verse 4, For our weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but look at it, divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. How many of you could have, would like to have a little dose of divine power? Let me see your hands. If you want to... I'm looking for people. I see two. I see three. Oh, y'all raise your hand. Okay. If you don't want a dose of divine power, come up here and tell us about it. No, I'm just joking. Um, 
We all want divine power, don't we? And the Bible, which is in, is absolutely faultless, says our weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely power, and they're designed for the destruction of fortresses. I don't know about you, but I want divine power every day as much as I can get it. And the good news is it's available to all of us. But you have to know how to access it. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't start thinking about divine power until they're inside Fort Apache and the Apaches are climbing over the walls. The place is on fire. They're completely surrounded and they look up and say, help. That's about how most people think of accessing divine power. But we find that there's a better way. By the way, I think of Fort Apache. Did anybody else beside me have the little kit Fort Apache as a child, they had the little logs wall around it, and you had the end ends, and you had the... You did? Okay. So I'm not talking to myself. That does resonate with somebody. Okay. What I'm telling you is if you don't utilize the spiritual dynamics and you get distracted with all of the cotton candy that the world has to offer, you will be eaten a lot. You will be so miserable. God designed it that way. We are like Joshua. We either call out for his help or we get consumed. Actually, I told you the Greek word for this is more akin, instead of saying a divinely power, they are, remember, divine dynamite. That's what they are. When was the last time you were in a situation in which you had some divine dynamite? Some of you look like you're already in that situation. Do you remember what the weapons are, by the way? Oh, you knew I was going to get to questions, didn't you? What are our divine weapons that are divinely powerful? The first one is truth. Only most of the time here we call it Bible doctrine. That is your defense. That is the truth in your soul being able to not accept the lies. Second of all, we have love. That's unconditional or impersonal love. When someone somehow offends us, they treat us wrongly, they sin against us, it might be a person, it might be an organization, we put them in the Lord's hands and we Treat them with integrity, which is really the next weapon. Uh, you might, we call it here, which doesn't resonate around most places, but here we call it experiential righteousness. We're not talking about the righteousness that God imputes at salvation because you can have that righteousness and still be out of the game. You have to be engaged. Experiential righteousness really kind of comports to integrity, it has a, a, a meaning of character that, that comes from God's Word. And the last one, I gave you four of them. The fourth weapon is prayer. I didn't put it last because it's the least powerful. It's just how it came out in my list. But what did Joshua do? He prayed to God. He prayed when he got into that situation. 
So our weapons of war of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divine dynamite for the destruction of fortresses. Now, we're, the fortresses are the satanic systems of thought. And if you are a believer and you are thinking Bible doctrine, which we need to be thinking every single day, then it, it's a head-on collision with satanic systems of thought. And we're tremendously outnumbered, just like Joshua was. But it doesn't matter. Verse 5, we are destroying speculations. Notice, it doesn't say we destroy. It says we are destroying. We're in the process of destroying something. I know a few people in here that love to destroy things. They are demolishers. They like to take a a sledgehammer in their hands and knock down walls. Uh, But that's not the way that we destroy these fortresses. We do it by the divine dynamite. We are destroying. It's an ongoing process. Satanic systems of thought. Are you all opening your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5? Make sure where it says fortresses. When it says destroying speculations, the speculations are the fortresses. They are satanic systems of thought. And just about everyone that you come in contact with think that way. And every lofty thing that's manifestation of pride. By the way, even if you, if you stay inside your house, let's say you're sick and you're not answering the phone, and nobody comes to the door, you don't see anybody, you're just there by yourself, I submit to you that you're still going to have to do battle with that old nemesis, and that old nemesis is pride. It's arrogance. So you don't have to be out in the world to engage in battle. You can be at home in your bed, under the covers, not not talking to anybody, and up here where the ball game really is, you're going to have to battle old Mr. Pride. We all do every single day. And if you don't, if you don't do the battle, then your friends aren't going to like you anymore, among other things. That's the speculations. And every lofty thing, that's the manifestation of pride, raised up against the knowledge of God. If you want to really get engaged in the, uh, in the battle... Talk to someone about, about something spiritual. Bring up Jesus Christ. Say something that has to do other than the mundane trivia that we normally talk about. Talk about something important with someone and you're going to see that, that speculation, that uh, system of thought, that pride. See, anything that is against God's Word is against God, which means it's arrogant and it's prideful. Bring up something like that, and you're going to find out real quick how prevalent that is, what people think. Because they're consumed with the things, the speculations that are against God. It's raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of God. Notice that's in the present tense also. Ongoing. Taking every thought captive is this is this is this is huge. I hope you you listen to this very carefully. 
God did not leave us prisoners to middle attitude sins. We do not have to submit to all of the evil that tries to pervade into our soul. What I'm telling you is you can control what you think. And if you can control what you think, it means you can control what you do. It even means you control this little thing that wags around in our mouth called a tongue. You can even control that. But it's not evil. James says, the book of James, says if you control that little member, then you've, you've essentially are on top of the game. But you can't control your tongue unless you control what's going up on in here first because it's what goes in, in here that affects everything else. So when I'm saying this verse, among others, is saying you can control what you think is immeasurably important. How many of you, how many of you have teenagers? Well, we have a few teenagers here. Uh, maybe you have teenage grandchildren. You, if you have children, you will recognize that when they don't control what's up here, then they don't control what comes out of here, and they don't control their actions, and you confront them about it, what's the, what's the first thing they want to say? Have you ever heard, this, heard them say this before? Well, I can't help it. Ever heard that before? Parents? Well, I can't help it. Yes, you can. You can help it because you can control what you think, but you have to be trained to be able to help it and to be able to live a life that is victorious and one that is faithful to God. You have to be trained. There has to be something up here to think with, and what God wants us to think with is what's in here. Now, the trick is getting what's in here into here, and that's why we're here. Oh, all right. That just came to me. <laughs> How do you manage a thought that comes into your soul, into your heart, the cardia, or even into your news, the mind? You're just walking along and you're just doing your thing. And I'll say, wham! Middle attitude sin just shows up. Here I am intrudes right in on your mind. It might be a nasty thought. It might be a revengeful thought. Most of the time, it's worry. Bam! It's right there. Are we doomed? Do we have to just let it have its way with our mind? Or can we neutralize it? What does this say again? We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience or the authority of Christ. It sounds like to me that we can't. We don't have to be prisoners to whatever machinations come into our mind from time to time. And don't sit there and look pious and think, I don't know what you're talking about. I, never, I have such a pure mind. Just read your Bible. The heart, the cardia, the, the most dominant portion of your, the real you, says, is desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. 
And we all have those thoughts. All of us. I hope you're not having one right now. Because if you are, you're not really getting the whole gist of it. I have uh, on the Internet, I taught this one time. It's called uh, the Mad Series. And it was an acrostic, Mechanics of Applying Doctrine. Oh, no, that's not it. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Mechanics of Applying Doctrine. That's it. The Mad Series. And what I did in that was say, for every sinful thought that comes into your soul, there is a correlating doctrine that neutralizes it. And that's how this works. But if you don't have the correlating doctrine to go along with it, then the evil thought is just going to twist and just mess up your mind. And then your actions are going to be askew. And then you're going to wonder what happened. Illustration. One that we all face every day because the world is full of people. We have to employ unconditional love. God commands us to. You know, if the world just didn't have any people, it would be all right. I mean, we wouldn't have to worry about our number one nemesis, which is other people. And here we are. We're in a nice clean church, air-conditioned. Most of us have nice, clean clothes on. Maybe all of us. I don't know. And if you, if you could see my vantage point, it looks like little halos all over the place. So pious. What's on the inside? Let's be honest. All of us know that we think things and we do things that we ought not. And most people don't know what to do about that. A lot of people think every time that a thought comes into their mind and they don't control it because they don't have the doctrine there, you know what a lot of people start doing? Believers. They start thinking, oh, I guess I'm not saved. Uh, other believers surely don't have that kind of thought. Surely they don't have the problems that I do having to fight this these mental wars. If you're not fighting a mental war, you're a captive. You're not even in the game. You're over here on the bench. What I'm trying to do is take 2 Corinthians chapter 10, these three verses, and show you how they are absolutely applicable to what Joshua was going through because Joshua had to do the same thing. Remember what the Lord told him? He said, don't you, you, you study these verses day and night. Day, and they didn't have electricity. I mean, it wasn't like, well, I'll just, I'll catch up on my doctrine. It's 11.30, but I'll get some before I go to sleep. And you turn on the light, and you got glasses, you got all the off. No, there was no light. So if he's going to study at night, he had to get a candle or a torch or something. And he said, don't deviate to the left or to the right. Do you know what happens when you deviate a little bit right over here and you keep going? What happens? That's, what ha that's why we have to be so careful. The spiritual life of the church age believer is very specific. And if you're going to bring down these spiritual fortresses, it has to be done with acuity, precision. And you can't think with precision if you don't have 
a precision type of vocabulary. If you don't have the vocabulary, you don't you can't think the spiritual dynamics of the church age, and you're just you're just a casual. So that's what we want to do. We want to do what Joshua did. Actually, here's a here's a trick question for you. Are you ready for a trick question? You know I'm going to have one. Who brought down the fortresses? Was it Joshua or was it God? The wheels are turning now. Both. Both is the answer. Joshua brought them down by God's power. Now, of course, we know that God could afflict his finger and every Canaanite and Jebusite and Perizzite and Parasite that was in that area would have been wiped off the map. But God is demonstrating that he can give this fallen creature known as man, mankind, all of us, he can, he can face the forces of evil against Satan without using his omnipotence but using the faith of these believers who trust in Him and trust His integrity and trust His power to annihilate and decimate the forces of evil. You know what that does to Satan? It defeats him. And that's what it's all about. Okay. I have to admit, I don't know what the next slide is, so i got to go. i turn it off so y'all won't see it. Okay. <laughs> That's a nice button. Don't you wish you had one? Don't you wish that you had a button like this that would, when you say something and you oh, just push that button, it takes it right back. Wouldn't that be nice? I bet we wouldn't lose that remote. 2 Corinthians 4.18 while we look not at the things which are seen, the problem, but at the things which are not seen, in this case it's Bible doctrine, truth, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When you're engaged in conflict with other people, or it might be an organization, whatever it is, we focus on what we see, don't we? Isn't that normal? We see a person, and that person is treat us, treating us unjustly. And we want to grind our teeth. We want to make them pay. How dare you do that? That's not right. As teenagers would say, that's not fair. Well, hallelujah, hon, you're finally learning what life is all about. Life is not fair. And so when you're facing that person, we, the natural tendency is to attack the person, attack the organization. Isn't, isn't that true? Isn't that what we want to do? But what we have to do is fight the battle as to what is not seen. The person or the organization, which is a, made up of people, it's always driven by people, it's the forces that he has submitted to that you want to attack, not the person. Do you understand that? Because the person has been, he's, uh, he's bought the lie. 
He has been captivated or captured by the enemy. And he can't help himself. He doesn't have the truth. He might not even know what justice and righteousness are. So it's not the people. We want to look at the things that are not seen. How do you look at things that are not seen? You know what that is? Spiritual. It's the spiritual thing. That's where the ball game is. And most people don't understand it. Most people live their entire lives and they're in there and they're pounding and they're, oh, get that person. Uh, let's, let's get a, a, some, kind of a, a, some kind of movement against this organization. I'll, I'll get me 20 lawyers. We'll show that. And they go on and on about what they see. In reality, the real battle is what we don't see the forces behind them. And when you start thinking that way, because that's where the real battle is, the real battle is up here between our ears. And it's of the things that we don't see. When you understand that's what the problem is, that's where the real problem is, then you can go to work spiritually. You can find in the Bible what, what, are, the, what are the things that it says about someone treating me this way, organization doing this. What did David do? What did Joshua do? What did Moses do? And you can get some of the particulars there to know what is right. Is knowing what is right all you need to do? Is that all that's necessary? No. Knowing it is first, though. But you also have to apply what you know. But both in the knowing part of it and the applying part of it, you can't do on your own power. It requires the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit power that enables you to understand the spiritual phenomenon that we're teaching, that I'm teaching today. Can't even learn it without His power then once you understand it and you learn it, then it's the Holy Spirit's power that will enable you to put that thought into practice, into actions. And it's when you do the end of prayer. You know what you can't do? You can't stay angry at someone and pray for them at the same time. I don't think you can. If you could, it wouldn't be... a it would be useless. I mean, the prayer wouldn't be answered because you, uh, David said, if I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But what I'm saying is when you pray for someone that has wronged you, it, it's not some kind of miraculous formula. What it does is change you on the inside. That's what it does. That's what prayer... Prayer is for us even when we're praying for someone else. Have you ever tried that? I dare say there might be 1, 2, 10, 20, 30, 40. I don't know. There might be a number of people here that have never ever in their whole life prayed for someone who, they're, who have really wronged them. When you do that, you are addressing the things that are not seen. You're engaged in the spiritual combat. And that's what God wants us to do. God's the one that has to be glorified. I think that maybe some of you have problems today. And it's going to be up to you. Are you going to go after that person? You're going to go after that organization? Are you going to make them pay? Are you going to make them sorry? 
are, are you going to recognize they've been captured by the enemy? They think nothing but secular, humanistic thinking. And God wants us to think on a higher plane. He wants us to apply the spiritual... When I say spiritual dynamics, that same word, dynamics, comes from dunamis in the Greek. Remember I said spiritually powerful, divine dynamite? You can duke it out with whoever you want to, but it's not going to change anything. What's going to change is when you start using divine dynamite, the spiritual dynamics, the dynamite that God has given us, and it's all in the spiritual realm. And you choose, am I going to do battle down here in the mud? Am I going to get even? Am I going to connive and manipulate and I'll get them? Or are you just going to relax, faith, rest, say, okay, God's in your hands. I'm going to pray for these people. I'm going to make sure that what my actions are comport with what the Bible says. And then I'm just going to rest. That's why we call it faith rest. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to sit down on the front porch and you're not going to lift a finger. It means you're resting up here. The turmoil and all the things that are going on in that mind, just relax. Because it's not your battle. It's the Lord's battle. Isn't that what David said when he was facing old Big Mouth? The battle is the Lord's. It's spiritual. I was going to introduce chapter 11 today. <laughs> I mean, I was going to do that a while back. But uh, it's not going to happen because we're just about out of time. Whoa, I've got a great map for the next time. Things start to change in chapter 11. Before chapter 11, the enemy was hiding behind these fortresses. But different chapter 11 starts and they are amassing. They're getting out from behind their walled cities. And they're going to be... Well, the Bible says that they are as, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That's a lot. And they're going to come against Israel. Satan is getting desperate. And he's going to amass the troops and he's going to hit Israel all at one time to try to overpower them. Isn't that silly? Somebody's going to overpower people who are empowered by God? Isn't that a silly notion? Well, I hope I got the wheels turning this morning to help you think. You're going to need to think because this Thursday is Thanksgiving. And you know what that means. Yeah, turkey. I know turkey, but... Uh, if you get around, you're probably going to be around more people than you normally are, and you're going to be around people you haven't seen in a while. You're going to be around people who are arrogant, verbose, odious, pompous, just full of human viewpoints. I predict that you're going, it's going to be necessary for you to do spiritual combat this Thursday, if nothing else, in your own soul. Well, here comes Henrietta. Got to deal with that right now. Got to get it right. 
You like? Good. That means you, you get it. We should be immeasurably thankful for not only the, the blessings that we have that are physical, and boy, do we have them in spades. Has God ever blessed us? But that's, that, that gratitude shouldn't even come close to the gratitude that we have towards our mighty God for the spiritual blessings and potential that He has made for us. It's so far above the physical blessings, it doesn't even measure on the scale. I hope that everyone will tap into that and stay tapped in so that we can be good and faithful servants to our great and mighty God. And I hope you all have a very good Thanksgiving. One, they say happy Thanksgiving. It's not going to be happy until you understand what was said today. I'd like everyone now, please, to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're sitting here, if you're a visitor, and you're thinking, oh no, here comes the aisle walking and the raise handed. Is that right? Hand raising. We don't do that here because it's really not an issue. What really is the issue? The reason I have people bow their head and close their eyes because I want there to be no distractions. I want you to realize who the God is that sent His Son to the cross to die for your sins, who died and was buried, but rose again. And now the good news, the great news, is that He gives eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for eternal life. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen after you die. Your ticket to heaven is guaranteed as soon as you put your faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's not about your works. It's about His work. And in that moment, you are born again and you have access to divine dynamite if you just learn how to access it. Now, Father, we're so thankful for who and what you are and that you put up with us, your long-suffering. We pray that we will make our life count, not on the human scale, but on your scale. We pray this in Christ's most high and holy name.